I think truth be told, I'd rather be at Hume Lake than most places, so we're not giving anything up. This has been fantastic to be here with all of you. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, if you have your Bible tonight, I'm sure you do. That's why you came. Um, as always, uh, if someone could volunteer, be brave to read Ecclesiastes 12, 9 through 14, JT, out loud. Great. Before I say too many words, I'd like God's word just to say what it says on its own. It's good enough on its own. Um, I'll do my best to say uh, the things I think it's saying and to, uh, to do that. But first, let's just let God's word say what it says. So Ecclesiastes chapter 12, um, 9 to 14, we're going to be talking about the meaningfulness of life obeying God's command. So on Sunday, uh, we had one book in, which was the meaninglessness of life and talking about this idea that um, life is ultimately, and we've talked about work and we've talked about uh, adversity. Last night, we talked about limits, the limitations that are on our lives. And tonight, we're going to sort of get the other book in on the other side and talk about the meaningfulness of life, um, obeying God's commands. So Ecclesiastes 9, or 12, rather, 9 to 14. Thanks, JT. So along the way, we've um, seen a lot of things that are vain. Vanity mentioned so many times. We've seen a lot of meaninglessness um, in life. But over the course of the book of Ecclesiastes, if we would have gone through it chapter by chapter, verse by verse, just sort of picking selected chapters here over this week, if we would have gone through the whole thing, we would have seen seven times, which is an interesting number, right? We would have seen seven times the author telling us um, the meaning of life. And seven times the author of Ecclesiastes would say something like, the meaning of life is enjoying God and all that he's created. So as he goes through the book, you know, over and over, he's telling us how meaningless things are. Seven times sprinkled throughout, perfect number, he's telling us that the meaning of life is to enjoy God and all the things that he's created. And so this evening, we actually get to start with good news and not end with it. And I think the good news is something like this, that we can enjoy God and all that he's created when we fear God and obey his commandments. We can enjoy God and all he's created when we fear God and when we obey his commandments. could also say when we fear God by obeying his commandments, right? So fearing God obviously means to revere God. It means to be in awe of him. And in the context of the book of Ecclesiastes, um, kind of the, the pericopita section right before this, we're dealing with this idea of creation. And so the idea here is that we're to be in awe of God um, because he is the creator. And I can't think of a better place to be in awe of him than in a place like this. This morning I was sitting out on the front of the lake and just enjoying um, the view, singing some worship songs. Um, I put my playlist on shuffle, and I basically just say, Lord, you pick the songs, right? And this morning, the songs, all of them this morning were about God's love for us, about how God cares for us. Um, nothing about you know, what we're doing for him or um, what we try to do to earn his favor, but all songs about just the fact that he loves us. And no matter what's going on in life, he loves us, he's present with us. And God ministered to me in such a great way this morning, but it's just overlooking like those, the Purple Mountain's majesty, right? Um, we're in awe of him when we just walk outside here at Hume Lake. And that's, that's the idea, is that we're supposed to be in awe of him, revere him as the God who is the creator and the sustainer because he knows what's best because he created all of life, including our lives. And so again, the good news, we can enjoy God and all that he's created when we fear God and obey his commandments. When we fear God by obeying his commandments. And when we fear God by obeying his commandments, it actually is it's proof that we, we actually do fear God, right? It kind of goes like this, and that we can enjoy all he's created for us. So the question this, this evening from the book of Ecclesiastes that the author's trying to answer is, well, how do we do that? 
How do we obey God and all that he's commanded on a consistent basis, right? And I don't know about you, but um, I want to obey Jesus all the time, but I don't find myself doing that all the time. Um, how do we obey God? How do we fear God, be in awe of him, obey him on a consistent basis? This is some Old Testament, very practical wisdom. The wisdom in the Old Testament is very, very practical wisdom. And so the teacher gives it to us this evening. It starts in verse 9 where he says, Besides being wise... The preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. So I think the first thing we see this evening is that to obey God's commands, we have to think about God's commands. Um, can we say that together? To obey God's commands, we have to think about God's commands. And I think this is really, really important, especially in a culture that is really pushing us to just do before we think. I think we live in a culture that's just pushing us to act before we think about it. Don't think about it. Just do it. Like, do whatever makes you feel good. Do whatever you enjoy. Just, just do. Don't think. Um, sometimes we talk about uh, my 15-year-old son, you know, ready, fire, aim. And um, I think that is, that, is just, that, is, that is the culture. The culture doesn't want us to grow up. Eventually, boys grow up. Don't we, boys? <laughs> Eventually, maybe not all the way completely, right? Um, I kind of don't ever want to completely grow up. But, um, but we're kind of ready, fire, aim when we're young, and then we kind of get wiser and we're like, oh, yeah, ready, aim, fire, you know, kind of think things through a little bit more. And what the author of Ecclesiastes is saying is to obey God's commands, we have to think about God's commands. And this is nothing new, this idea of living in a culture that just kind of wants to push us into doing things without thinking about it. Just do whatever makes you feel good. And the teacher's wise to this, right? We know that he's one of the wisest people who ever lived. Again, Old Testament wisdom being thoughtful, kind of practical wisdom. The Old Testament version of obedience and wisdom, thoughtful obedience. And so Old Testament wisdom, again, it's not just theoretical. It's not just intellectual. It's very, very practical. And so this section is going to be very practical here this evening. Um, so how do we do this? How do we, um, how do we obey God's commands, thinking about God's commands? Well, we spend a lot of time doing it. And the teacher gives us three words this evening that, that show us just how much time he has taken to think through God's commands in such a way that he's not just thought through them for himself, but now he's teaching them to others, right? And I know there's a lot of people here who want to think through those things themselves, but teach them to others, right? You want to teach them to your children or your grandchildren, or the staff people that you're around, or the high school and junior high students that are here at Hume Lake, or those sorts of things, or mutually encourage your friends, right? So how would we do that? He says weighing, studying, and arranging. And, and this is, I believe, a very thoughtful, intentional process. The author of Ecclesiastes is a very thoughtful person, right? And so he starts with weighing, which literally means to ponder, to put it in the balance. So here's the idea. What does the world's wisdom say about this? And what does the Bible say about this? And putting those things and weighing those things out and putting them in the balance. And again, this is a very, very important first step in a culture that's pushing us to act before we think. We just have to pause, slow down, and think about something. Think it before you do it. In the last three years, our culture has given us so many opportunities, especially all of you who are young and on Instagram, to just join in some kind of movement, to just join in something like that. I'm going to post this, or I'm not going to post that, or I'm going to black this out, or I'm not going to black it out, or I'm going to hashtag that, or I'm not going to do it. Like, so many temptations just to do it because everyone's doing it. 
And what I have found is the pastors in the churches that did that sort of stuff, they paid a heavy price. It's not biblical wisdom. Biblical wisdom is just say, whoa, 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 just slow down for a minute and weigh out what's actually going on here, right? Think before you act. Put it in the balance. What does the Bible say and what is culture saying? Let's weigh these things out. I think there's a few categories that just come to mind. There's many, but, but in terms of identity, right, like the world is saying, I can create whatever identity I want to create, and the Bible's saying, well, I think there's a different idea, like my identity comes from my creator. To weigh those ideas out today in our culture. Or for marriage and relationship, right? Like I can marry, anyone can marry anyone. The Bible's like, ah, uh, it's kind of like one man, one woman for one lifetime. There's, there's, let, let's weigh those things out. And there are a lot of professing Christians, especially young people who are, who are not weighing those things out. Or work, you know, like as little hours as possible, right? And get paid as much as possible, which actually kind of sounds good, you know? But I think that's the, but the Bible's like, whoa, 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 that's not the point of work, though. The point of work is to work hard in whatever you do unto the Lord. So, like, let's just, let's weigh these things out. Just pause and weigh them out. In our church, we have seven core values or some, you know, and I guess that's what they are. We call them core values. And, um, the first one is biblical authority. The second one is gospel centrality, prayer, joy, humility, hospitality. I could go down the list, but the top is biblical authority because for every single thing, we're saying, whoa, 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 what does the Bible say about this, right? Let's weigh this out. So weighing, and then the second word he uses is studying, which means to search through. So that's like to dig down deep, to mine for those sort of gems of truth, not just what's on the surface. This is not just sort of basic principles. It was kind of mining down into it. Um, I am more of an exhorter by nature, and, and so I kind of like to think like big picture and kind of up here. Guys like John Piper, for example, you know, like he's always talking about like digging down and mining in, and I love to listen to his teaching, and I, I love to kind of think through like, okay, I see this principle, but now let me take a little bit of time and just really dig and mine down what's really in there. And so the first thing is weighing it out, and the second thing is, you know, studying it, mining what's, what's down there. Um, if you studied biblical theology before, biblical theology, a way of just taking what does the Bible say about this topic from beginning to end and just sort of tracing it all the way through. Take some time to just mine out some deeper truths that are there. So weighing it, that's what he did first, studying it, digging down, and then the last word is arranging it. And it means to make straight or to order it. So it's actually making a plan, a proactive plan, not a reactive plan. So this is biblical wisdom. How do we obey God's commands on a consistent basis? The author of Ecclesiastes says, weigh it out. What is the Bible saying? What is culture saying? Okay, what is the Bible saying? That's what we want. Now mining down on that. Okay, let's dig down on that and, and understand why do we actually believe that. It's not just like a, a thing we put on Instagram and a short slogan, but there's stuff underneath that. Let's get to that. And then let's make a plan, an intentional plan, to help ourselves to actually do it. This is what the author of Ecclesiastes is saying when he says thinking about it. It's all of the things, weighing, studying, and arranging. And whatever your plan ultimately is, whatever plan you make, make it a plan that you can remember. This is what the teacher did. Look at verse 10. It says, the preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. So he created proverbs. He created wise sayings to help him remember things. This morning I was in Proverbs chapters 11 through 13 in my, my reading plan that we are going through as a church. And so 
while I've been up here talking about the wisdom of the book of Ecclesiastes, I've been reading, in part, the book of Proverbs, right? And this is exactly what that is. Arranged Proverbs that help us remember things about life that we want and we should remember. So like, if it comes to my identity, like my, my short phrase is like, I am in Christ and Christ is in me. We talked about this at lunch today, right? What is our primary identity? I am in Christ and Christ is in me. That's my little phrase that helps me to remember what does the Bible say about my identity instead of what the world says, right? In terms of marriage and relationships, my, my, my whole thing, and I just said it, one woman, one man for one lifetime. This is the one woman, this is the one man for one lifetime. That's it. So that, that's what, that's, that's, that helps ground me. That's my little proverb. That's my little saying. And in terms of work, you know, my little saying is like work hard, rest hard. You've heard that. It's not a, a biblical phrase, you know, um, per se. And maybe other people have said it. But like we're working hard and then we're going to rest hard. We're going to unplug, you know, when we need to. We did that the other day. We went away for a, a night. Dina surprised me and the whole family and planned an evening um, or a, a couple days away. Just went, made a hotel reservation. We've been saying we need to get out of here. And it's like we do. We need to rest. And this is a family. We just rested, sat by the pool and ate good food. We're going to work hard, and then we're going to rest hard. That just kind of helps orient what is our plan to apply God's wisdom to our lives. You might be saying, well, <laughs> I don't know. That sounds a little weird, or I don't know if I can do that, like create a lot of little phrases. Well, I think we do that all the time. You know, we put little quotes up on our fridge, or some of us write things on like a post-it note, right, and we stick it on the mirror until you figure out you could actually write on the mirror, right, with a, with a erasable marker, and it's fine. It's the same thing, right? So like, my kids wrote Bible verses all over their, you know, the mirrors in their, be- in their bathrooms. Um, I'd say, you know, for those of you who are on social media, like, we do this all the time. I know you take a lot of time figuring out, like, what's my caption? What am I going to actually say? Like, no, no, wait, no, wait, wait, that emoji? No, that would, that one. I mean, like, we think about how we want to put things into short phrases for other things. Like, we can do that for these things, the more important things, right, in life, like our relationship with God. So we can do this. If you need to learn, read, read the book of Proverbs. It'll teach you how to make little phrases that'll kind of key you into these ideas that you have weighed out, that you've studied and mined, and now you're arranging them to help you actually do these things. Are you with me? Makes sense? We might say, well, I'm not that smart when it comes to the Bible, and I just want to say, you probably are, because, you know, you showed up here instead of, instead of the gauntlet, and uh, you want to you, you know something about the Bible, and so... I just want to remind you from last night, you know, the spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is judged by no one who was understood of the mind of the Lord. Last night we said like five or seven times together, we have the mind of Christ. And I just want to remind you, you do have the mind of Christ. Um, you, can, you can do this. You can arrange these things. God's given you the mind to do it. We have the mind of Christ, and so we can put it to work. And that's really important because really important things come along with obeying God's commands. Um, and uh, this is the second point I think the author of Ecclesiastes wants to make in this passage. Look at verse 11 where he says, The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. We know who that is. I think the second thing he wants us to know is we should obey God's commands because they guide us and they ground us. If we believe that, will you say that with me together tonight? We, we should obey God's commands because they guide us and they ground us, right? They guide us and they ground us. There's nothing better 
to guide our lives and to ground our lives in obeying God's commands. So you probably know that the, what the goads were, right? We got some people that are, live in the valley. You probably know better than I, right? The goads were ancient cattle prods. They're prodding the cattle, and and a shepherd would use the prod to prod his sheep in the right direction and to steer them away from danger and to steer them into the best places, right? So when we read things in the Bible like, the Lord is my shepherd, remember, they come from one shepherd, I shall not want, he makes me lie down in green pastures, that's likely like he's prodding me, he makes me, like he is pushing me toward the green pastures. He leads me beside still water. So he makes me do certain things and he leads me in the other things, right? He is, this is a prodding analogy and words. And the goads work because why? Why do goads work? Because they cause pain. Goads work because they cause pain. And it might be hard or painful to hear sometimes some of the things that God wants us to do. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I don't naturally want to do that. But it's like a goad prodding me in the right direction. Because obeying God's commands helps to guide my life and ground my life. And I, I, need, to, I need to know that and believe that. Sometimes I need a little prodding. I don't know about you, but, but I do. So it's meant to move us in the right direction and protect us from the greater pain. So there is pain to the goading, right? But there's a greater pain in ignoring the goading and then just going on with life outside of God's design. The goad, it does cause pain, but it doesn't cause the most pain. And that's the point, is that the shepherd uses it knowing that it causes some so that you avoid the greater pain. So it protects us from the greater pain, and it provides the best possible scenario for us. And I I've always appreciated Josh McDowell's, you know, kind of point on this, that he says, all of God's commands are meant to provide and protect. They're meant to provide for us the best possible life that God wants for us and intends for us and to protect us from anything that's less than that. Why would you want anything less than that? And so as we've talked with our kids over the years about God's commands and the things in their life, it's always, always that way. It's never like, because I said so or because God said so, although I think that is a sufficient answer. Like, what's on top of that is, well, because God loves you and he wants to provide for you the best for you and protect you from anything, why would you want anything less than the, than the best that there is? I want the best for you. You might remember um, this moment when the Apostle Paul meets Jesus <laughs> and, uh, and he falls to the, Saul falls to the ground and uh, he hears the voice in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Jesus literally says, is it hard for you to kick against the goads? Like Jesus has been prodding Saul and he's just like kicking back against the goads. And he's like, is this tough? So Jesus is like, you know, you're a fall off your donkey. Is this better? You know, sort of thing. Like that is more painful, right? You can't see now. Are you listening yet? You know, and, and I think this is just an analogy for us of just the way it works. And so I just thought it might be a helpful question this evening is, um, is there any way that you're kicking against the goads, you know? Maybe just pause here for a moment and say, is there anything that you like, you know the Lord just like prodding you. It's just like, mm, you know, he's, just, he's prodding you in a certain direction and you're like, get off me. You know, it's just, you're kicking back against the goads. I don't know. I kind of recommend you don't, <laughs> you know. 
Okay, so he says, um, so he says God's word are like goads, right? They're prodding us in the right direction to provide for us the best possible outcomes to protect us from anything less than that. But he also says they're actually like nails. They're like nails. They're like tent pegs. Nails were ancient tent pegs, and right, the shepherds would wander from place to place, and they'd set up a camp, and we see this happening a lot in the Old Testament. They're wandering around, they set up a camp, they put their tent pegs in to stake down that tent with all their belongings under it, their families housed in there, right? And they do that because they know that harsh weather eventually is going to come, they're going to need to shade their families, there's a sandstorm that's going to come, and they've really got to drive those stakes in. I remember... Um, we took a trip with our youth pastor once. Dina and I were, were, um, were doing food for them, and, and, uh, and they, you know, you pulled the houseboats up onto the lake, and, you know, the boys were, like, driving, you know, the stakes in, and the stakes were still, like, this high to the ground, and it's like, boys, this is not going to work, you know? No, 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 it's fine. It's like, it's fine now, but it's not going to be fine, right? So I went out, taught them, and we drove them in so, so deep, and wouldn't you know, you know, two days later, the monsoon comes, and... Um, and the boats hold because they're grounded deep. And this is the idea. So God's word and his commands are like, they're like the tent pegs of our lives. They ground our lives so that when the storms roll through, like we're firmly grounded and we're not getting unanchored by the things that push against our lives. So um, I just thought we'd pause for a minute and we're just going to roll like this like little... Music, you know, in the background. Well, maybe not that. Yeah, maybe something. Okay, yeah, maybe something more mellow. I was that was like, that was like getting ready for rave music, maybe or something. We're not going to do that. We're, yeah, gauntlet vibes. But um, but we're <laughs> we're just. I'm going to give you like just one or two minutes just to think through think through an issue of your life. And I think there's a slide for this. But just and if you have notes or you're taking notes in a journal, whatever, maybe you just even want to write this image down and kind of you know put this image up there. But it's just an image of it's just a square that's supposed to meant like look like a tent, and then like there's tent pegs, right? So like there's that post in the center, which is Christ and in, in, in the truth of the gospel, and like that's just got to be central to everything in our lives. But I just want to give you one or two minutes just of quiet to think through what is one issue in your life that you need to be grounded in right now, and what are, what are four scriptures just to come to your mind really quickly? And if they don't, remember Jesus told us that he'd bring to remembrance all the things uh, the Spirit was there to bring remembrance all the things that he, he had instructed and taught us. So, so would you just ask the Holy Spirit to give you to bring to remembrance some verses, even if you don't know the exact address, write down what you think it said, and you can look it up on some app later. But I'm just going to give you two minutes to think about one issue in your life. The gospel is dead center, the truth of the gospel and the personal work of Christ. But there's four tent pegs, there's four scriptures that can ground you on that issue. So maybe it's an issue with your marriage, your children, your work. Maybe, maybe it's suffering that's going on in your life right now. Maybe there's something that's going on that you need God's grounding in. So I'm going to roll music. I'm going to give you two minutes. I know this is awkward to do in the middle of a sermon or homily or whatever we're calling this, but I thought it'd be helpful. So Two minutes is going to seem like an eternity. It's okay. Again, if you can't think of the reference, just write down whatever you think the verse says, and you can look it up later. The Lord will bring it to remembrance for you at some point. Praise God, we have a lot of tools today, <laughs> so that's good news. I just want you to walk away, 
being able to be grounded in Scripture on that one issue. And maybe these are going to eventually be those verses you write on your mirror with a dry erase marker or a sticky note. One more minute. I'm just trying to get you started. That music sounded like the mo- I have like a morning productivity playlist. It sounded like that morning productivity playlist when I'm trying to like get stuff done. It's like bah, 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 I'm just in it. All right, you guys have jot a few things down. There we go. Oh yeah, I could crush my email inbox right now with this. All right. Well, you get the point, right? I'm just trying to give you a head start, but maybe sometime later this evening or early tomorrow morning. You could revisit this little tent peg exercise and just maybe it would be an exercise you could use even to talk to your kids about or your grandkids about this idea like something's going on in their life. It's like, hey, sit down. Like, let's find a few Bible verses that speak to that. And let's you could even make like a little tent peg deal for them. And you could make a little craft with them or do something like that to help remind them like this is the issue. And God's word's going to grind. It's going to it's going to ground you here. And so hopefully that's helpful. Because obeying God's commands does guide us and it does ground us. The author of Ecclesiastes says there's actually something we should never, ever do with God's commands. Because they're so important, because they always guide us and they always ground us, he's saying there's something you should never do. And he says it in verse 12 where he says, My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness to the flesh. The third thing a teacher tells us is we should never look beyond God's commands. Do you believe that? Will you say that with me? We should never look beyond God's commands. You know, there are a lot of places for us to look. There are more places for us to look than ever. I'm going to read this number just from my notes because I have not, don't have it memorized, but like, but Google estimates that there were 156,264,000 880 titles as of 2022. That's not including ebooks, that's not including audiobooks, and that's not including books that don't have an ISBN number. So over 150 million places that you and I could go beyond God's word. We have audible subscriptions. We can read books anywhere, anytime. We have Kindle, which means we can reference our books anywhere anytime and we have podcasts which means we can learn anything we want to about anything anytime i was recently talking to um, a former student who grew up on a farm and he's talking about working on the farm and how many podcasts he can listen to and it was this awesome you know it's like what a great what a great thing that we can do today you know like you can drive the tractor and listen to podcasts and like learn a bunch of things and i just sort of paused and tried to tenderly remind him like hey you know, the Puritans learned a lot just by being quiet and observing the things that were in nature. And, like, what if you alternated your days? What if you did a day where you just, like, listen to the Bible? Just listen to the Bible. Like, just start in, like, Genesis and, like, listen to the whole storyline through. Or start in, in Matthew and just listen to all the Gospels. Could you imagine you just, like, listen to them all in one day in one sitting, like, God's Word just washing over you, right? There's, like, so many things we can listen to. But there's a pretty good thing that we already have to listen to. So there's so much we can learn, but as we learn it, we always are asking ourselves, what does the Bible say about that, right? Because the Bible guides us and it grounds us. So the Bible has all the wisdom that we need. Second Peter reminds us that his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us. So as we 
gain our knowledge about Christ and the truth of his gospel and his word. Like, we have everything that we need. And so I'll just pause and say maybe another question this evening is, is there any way that you're kind of looking beyond God's word or that you're looking beyond God's word first, right? So like in the morning, I just have this practice, like I'm not doing anything before I'm opening my Bible. And I have some other books I might want to read, or honestly, like I might, I'm interested, like did we sell any of our products overnight? Or do we, you know, there's all these things in my mind, but I'm just like, no, the first thing I'm doing is I'm just, just going to God's word before I go to anything else, including great books by great authors and great people who love Jesus, but I don't need to hear their voice first, right? I need to hear his voice first. So have you been looking beyond God's commands? Or have you looking somewhere before you look at God's commands? I want to flip-flop that. So lastly, there is an ultimate reason we should never look beyond or outside of God's commands. In verse 13, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So the fourth thing, and the last thing, is that the ultimate purpose of life is to fear God and obey his commands. If you believe that, would you say that with me? The ultimate purpose of life is to fear God and obey his commands. And the teacher has been telling us this through the entire book of Ecclesiastes. And again, if we had been studying the whole book together and we were like, you know, getting together for the last evening here and we went through all the passages, we would have heard him say in chapter 3, verse 14, I perceive that whoever that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can add to it, nor can anything be taken from it. God has done it so that people may fear before him. And in chapter 5, verse 7, he would have said, for when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. And then two chapters later, he would have said in chapter 7, it is good that you should take hold of this and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. The very next chapter, he would say, Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. We did that one the other night. And now he tells us in a very succinct way, four chapters later, this is the end of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. He's been telling us this all along, that this is our purpose. This is our end, to fear God and to keep his commandments. But there's a second, also important reason, and again, he's been telling us all along. Chapter 3, verse 17, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there's a time for every matter and for every work. Then in chapter 11, he waits a little while to drop this hammer again. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk on the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know this, that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. And then he reminds them at the very end, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So obeying God and fearing his commandments, it is the purpose of our life, but it's also our protection in this life. Fearing God and obeying God's commands, it is the purpose for why we're here. And it also is our protection for the life that we live while we're here. And it's also our protection for the life that we live, well, <laughs> When we're not here. And the author of Ecclesiastes knows this. And again, he's just shooting straight down the middle and he's just telling us the way that it is. I don't know if we get to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes and we're like, well, fear God, obey his commandments. This is the whole, you know, purpose of life. And you're thinking, man, I don't know if I can do that. Like, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not as good as I want to be at obeying his commandments. And I definitely can't do that perfectly. Um, I don't even know how much progress I'm actually making. Maybe it feels even incremental. 
And I would just say to you, well, isn't that the wonderful thing about the truth of the gospel? Not that we shouldn't keep trying. God is not opposed to our effort. He's just opposed to our earning, right? When you hear that, I want you to hear that correctly. God is not opposed to our effort. He's just opposed to our earning. God, God does not want us to try to earn his approval. We never can. The truth of the gospel is we're not earning anything, but we put effort as Christians into everything because we love Jesus and we're grateful for the truth of the gospel. And so the good news is that we have someone who's already done this perfectly for us. It's not that we don't put effort into it and we're not going to continue to to pray and ask God for the grace to, to be more obedient and to follow him more closely and to be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. That's, that's part of the reason we are here. But we also be reminded that, that Jesus has already done this perfectly for us, that he's the one who lived the life we could never live, a life that's free from sin, and then he's the one that died the death we should have died on the cross and in our place and for our sins. He took on himself, on the cross, all of those times where we fail to obey him. Sins of omission and sins of commission. When we fail to obey what we know he said and when we fail to do what, what, what we know he said. On, on either end of that, Jesus took all of that on himself on the cross. And Jesus rose three days later to prove to us that he was who he said he was and he did what he said he did. And now we can be free we can be free from guilt or shame that we don't do this perfectly. <laughs> and we can be free to follow Jesus and with joy and gratitude. And with, with some sense of freedom that we're freed from the weight of sin and guilt and shame. And we can joyfully obey him. And when we don't, we confess it and we repent of it. We study, you know, we weigh him out, we study him, we arrange, we do our best, we give it our effort but Jesus is the one that's earned it. We give the effort. He's the one that's done the earning. And I hope that's really good news. Jesus is the spotless lamb, the perfect lamb of God. Lived the perfect life. He's also the sacrificial lamb, the lamb of God who takes away, takes away the sins of the world. So that's the good news, right? We can enjoy God and all he's created when we fear God and obey his commandments. When we trust God for what he's done through the person and work of Jesus. And no matter what any book of the Bible says, even the book of Ecclesiastes, I hope, I hope you're in the practice of always grounding these things and connecting these things to the reality of the truth of the gospel. And just for what it's worth, that good news statement for me is, is sort of the way I try to orient myself just in my own life. And I want to orient our church and... Um, the good news statement that we make is sort of like if you've read preaching books, you know, there's this sort of big idea statement you're supposed to make as a preacher, and I'm not sure that's the most important thing. Personally, I think the most important thing is the good news and how the big idea is actually connected to the good news. And so when you're reading the Bible, you could make your own good news statements where you take the truth of any passage of Scripture you're in, and you take the truth of the reality of the gospel, and you take the reality of your life, and you sort of build a bridge between those things. We're just trying to connect the truth of the gospel to the truth of this passage and the realities of the things that are in our lives. You sort of connect those things into some kind of succinct statement that helps us remember those realities. And so um, I know, I'm sure we're all Christians, you know, and I appreciate you um, well, being patient with me or allowing me, well, I don't know what the best word, to, what best phrase is, um, 
for, for sort of going there at the end of every one of our talks, I think it's the only place at the end we should be going. And, um, and especially tonight as we end up the book of Ecclesiastes, starting and ending with some good news. And so um, would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that you've given us um, commands to provide for us the best possible life um, that we could ever have and to protect us from anything less than your best for us. We're grateful for that. We're also grateful, and I don't know, you know, thank you and gratitude and gratefulness and whatever words our language can, can come up with, Lord, you know, we're grateful for the fact that you did this perfectly for us so that when we give it our effort, um, we're not earning anything, we're putting effort into everything. Um, even when we don't do this perfectly, Lord, we know that the truth of the gospel says that you've already done that perfectly on our behalf, and we thank you. And, and our gratitude for that, Lord, um, doesn't cause us to, to just sit back and go, well, then we're good. It just it causes us to want to dive in, to apply more effort to weighing and studying and arranging your commandments in such a way that it helps us to obey them. And ultimately, not just because we want to be protected from things and not just because we want a good life, but, but because we love you and because we're grateful for all that you've done for us and we're grateful for all that you are to us. So we thank you for the book of Ecclesiastes. We thank you for every, every word that's in your word, including all these words in this book. And uh, we thank you for the things that they teach us. Mostly we thank you for the ways that they, they reveal to us something about who you are. And uh, so, Jesus, we say thank you in your name. Amen. All right, well, there's in part the book of Ecclesiastes. So I hope you guys um, have enjoyed being in it and maybe see it a little different. I would just pause at the end, too, and say um, I have found that the book of Ecclesiastes is becoming an increasingly, like, my favorite place to go in, like, evangelistic conversations. So if there's people that want to start reading the Bible with you, um, everyone's like, oh, read the book of John. It's like, well, that, I think that might be great, or the book of Luke or whatever, but... Um, if you read the book of Ecclesiastes and you sort of go through it's like, yeah, it's not that, 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 it's not that. There's all these places that you can't find the answers. Maybe you hop into the book of Mark because the gospel of Mark has that immediately language in it, especially in the first few chapters. And maybe that would actually press that person to say, hey, it's not these things, but it is this guy, you know? And like press them to that place. So if you have time with some relational evangelism and you have someone that has some interest in the Bible, but they've got questions that they don't know, I think the book of Ecclesiastes might be a good place to start. So. All right.